0: Read 44 presents Chapter 2 of The Desktop Regulatory State by Kevin Carson, read by Tony Dreer. Chapter 2. Networks vs. Hierarchies 2. Hierarchies vs. Networks In a distributed network, it's impossible to prevent communication between nodes by controlling a central node. There are too many alternative nodes through which communication can be routed if any particular node or nodes are closed off. As John Gilmore famously quipped, the Internet treats censorship as damage and roots around it. Quote, the power of distributed networks lies in the fact that in them filters disappear. Eliminating or filtering a node or node cluster will not delay access to information. By contrast with the decentralized information system which arose with the invention of the telegraph, in distributed networks, it is impossible to burn bridges and restrict the information that reaches the final nodes by controlling a few transmitters. Quote. As Ori Brafman and Rod Backstrom describe it, when attacked, a decentralized organization tends to become even more open and decentralized. They use the example of the file-sharing movement. After Napster was shut down, the movement responded by creating a series of successors, each of which was even more decentralized and presented even less in the way of vulnerable nodes than its predecessor. That's the subject of Francesca Musiani's article on the history of P2P file-sharing architecture, which she argues has been shaped by the offensive-defensive arms race between the forces of state surveillance and those of circumvention. The first generation of file-sharing systems, typified by Napster, were centralized, one-to-many systems. Subsequent services became increasingly decentralized, although their weak point remained imperfect anonymity. The third stage, Musiani argues, is file-sharing under cover of darknets, with membership-by-invitation-only on a -a friend-of-a-friend basis. Although such organization through conventional, proprietary social networking services like Facebook is still vulnerable to the vagaries of their privacy policy, open-source social networking services like Diaspora are much more promising as avenues for darknet file-sharing. The Pirate Bay, Rick Falkvinge writes, has been a trailblazer in resilience. After all, a number of bought-and-paid-for or just plain misguided legislatures and courts have tried to eradicate the site— and yet it still stands untouched. One source of its resilience, as is the case with Wikileaks, see below, is its lack of dependence on servers that are vulnerable to the laws of any particular country. Like Wikileaks, the Pirate Bay has access to a network of servers in a number of countries, and it responds to shutdown attempts by nimbly switching its web hosting to servers in other countries, most recently the servers of the Norwegian and Catalan Pirate Parties as of this writing. The ultimate step so far for file-sharing operations has been to bypass site hosting as a bottleneck altogether and move into the cloud. The Pirate Bay released its software code so that it could be replicated by anyone who wanted to host a Pirate Bay clone. Quote, Earlier this year, 2012, after months of legal wrangling, authorities in a number of countries won an injunction against the Pirate Bay, probably the largest and most famous BitTorrent piracy site on the web, the odor blocked people from entering the site. In retaliation, the Pirate Bay wrapped up the code that runs its entire website and offered it as a free, downloadable file for anyone to copy and install on their own servers. People began setting up hundreds of new versions of the site, and piracy continues unabated. Thus, whacking one big mole created hundreds of smaller ones. End quote. And Tribbler moves file sharing in a literal peer-to-peer direction. Quote, The new software called Tribbler is the new weapon in the battle for internet liberty and does not need a website to track users sharing torrent files. According to The Raw Story, it is a peer-to-peer network protocol that enables computers to share files with thousands of others. For many, this could be the solution movie. While lawmakers are dreaming of a censored web, many believe Tribbler will be a true nightmare for them. According to the technology blog Torrentfreak, The attempt to disconnect users from the Internet for illegal purposes will be foiled by the software that has been in the works for the past five years and will make it nearly impossible to stop file sharing. The only way to take it down is to take the Internet down, stated Dr. Puels of Delft University of Technology to the Daily Mail. Tribler will be entirely decentralized, leaving the control in the hands of the users, Individuals can rename files, flag phony downloads or viruses, create channels of verified downloads, and act as nodes that distribute lists of peers across the network, the Raw Story reported. End quote. More recently, the clumsy attempts of the U.S. government and its allies to suppress WikiLeaks through control of strategic nodes, domain name registries, Amazon, PayPal, etc., have made the same principle abundantly clear. Wikileaks' enemies have strategized against it within the paradigm of a Weberian bureaucratic institution functioning inside a Westphalian nation-state. Will Wilkinson mocked the sheer idiocy of people like Joe Lieberman and all the clucking chicken hawks in the neocon blogosphere, calling for Chelsea Manning or Julian Assange to be waterboarded in his blog at The Economist. Quote, If Mr. Assange is murdered tomorrow, if Wikileaks' servers are cut off for a few hours or a few days, or forever, nothing fundamental is really changed. With or without WikiLeaks, the personnel, technical know-how, and ideological will exists to enable anonymous leaking and to make this information available to the public. Yet the debate over WikiLeaks has proceeded as if the matter might conclude with the eradication of these kinds of data dumps, as if this is a temporary glitch in the system that can be fixed. But I don't think the matter can end this way. Just as technology has made it easier for governments and corporations to snoop ever more invasively into the private lives of individuals, it has also made it easier for individuals, working alone or together, to root through and make off with the secret files of governments and corporations. WikiLeaks is simply an early manifestation of what I predict will be a more or less permanent feature of contemporary life, and more or less permanent constraint on strategies of secret keeping. Consider what young Bradley Manning is alleged to have accomplished with a USB key on a military network. It was impossible 30 years ago to just waltz out of an office building with hundreds of thousands of sensitive files. The mountain of boxes would have weighed tons. Today, there are millions upon millions of government and corporate employees capable of downloading massive amounts of data onto tiny devices. The only way WikiLeaks like exposés will stop is if those with the permissions necessary to access and copy sensitive data refuse to do so. But as long as some of those people retain a sense of right and wrong, even if it is only a tiny minority, these leaks and these scandals will continue. Mike Masnick, in similar language, expressed his amused contempt for calls from people like Christian Witten and Mark Thiessen to kill Assange Or declare war on WikiLeaks and shut it down. As was pointed out at the time, this is a statement totally clueless about the nature of WikiLeaks and how distributed it is. If you shut down one node, five more would likely pop up overnight, and they'd be harder to track and harder to shut down. Witten and Thiessen are reacting to WikiLeaks as if it were a threat from an individual or a government. In other words, they're treating it like a threat from decades ago rather than an open effort to distribute leaked information. What the internet allows is for groups to form and do stuff in a totally anonymous way and distributed manner. And there really isn't any way to prevent that, whether you agree with the activity or not. End quote. As Reasons Jesse Walker put it, quote, I remember when the record companies were filled with men and women who thought the key to stopping online file sharing was to shut down a company called Napster. I remember when a teenage programmer named Sean Fanning was attracting the sort of press that Julian Assange is getting today. In 2010, the average 14-year-old probably doesn't know who Fanning is. He might not even recognize the name Napster, but he knows how to download music for free. End quote. The resilience of WikiLeaks against attempts at suppression by the corporate state, in particular, is remarkable. The networked movement to blog and tweet WikiLeaks' dotted line IP address around the web and to mirror the site by the thousands should be a source of pride to all friends of information freedom. It reminds me of the DCSS uprising, in which the illegal DCSS hack for movie DRM was distributed at thousands of blogs and websites worldwide, and sympathizers even showed up for Eric Corley's trial in t-shirts bearing the DCSS code. And even if the site were entirely shut down, it would be feasible to move beyond the current website-based model and simply distribute content worldwide by torrent download. Similarly, the Egyptian government's so-called shutdown of the internet during the early 2011 uprising was circumvented by InterAlia using dial-up connections and virtual private networks. As with WikiLeaks, social media sites were reportedly still available at their IP addresses, and use of the Tor anonymizer tripled. What's more, another lesson of the shutdown is just how catastrophic the economic consequences are. Quote, A central unknown at this moment is what the economic harm to the country will be. Without internet and voice networks, Egyptians are losing transactions and deals. Their stocks and commodities cannot be traded, Their goods are halted on frozen transportation networks, and their bank deposits are beyond reach. In fact, the measure seems so drastic and the effects so severe that governments are likely to treat them as a last resort and put them off until it's too late, as was the case in Egypt. Governments are as prone to the boiled frog syndrome as we are. Attempts to suppress efforts like WikiLeaks by interdicting their access to centralized intermediaries like domain name services, web hosts, PayPal, etc. simply serve as a catalyst to create new, decentralized versions of those intermediaries which are less vulnerable to interdiction. There's already been talk about setting up an open-source domain name service by one of the founders of the Pirate Bay. Even before WikiLeaks emerged as a major story, services like PayPal had come under criticism from the open-source community for their lack of accountability to the user community, and sparked assorted attempts to create an open-source alternative. Attacks on WikiLeaks have just increased the momentum behind such movements to reduce the vulnerability of centralized intermediaries. The user's power of voice over PayPal is virtually nil, but their power of exit is potentially enormous. Again. The net is in the process of treating censorship as damage and rooting around it. Projects to Harden the Net Against Shutdown Even before the Egyptian government shut down the internet during the Twitter revolution in early 2011, there was a wide range of projects aimed at increasing the internet's resilience in the face of state attempts at shutdown or control. The Egyptian government's shutdown, combined with talk in the U.S. of an internet kill switch, added a sense of urgency to these projects. It's worth bearing in mind, of course, that the resistance movement has been quite creative in circumventing the so-called net shutdown while it was actually going on. Quote, Even shutting down the internet, which the security services in Syria, Libya, and Egypt all tried at various stages of those uprisings, cannot prevent determined cyber dissidents from organizing. In Libya, rebels used satellite telephones to upload videos of violence by Gaddafi's government against protesters. In Egypt, software developers managed to cobble together an alternative internet, a peer-to-peer network that bypassed the state-controlled one, when the regime began blocking access. And from China to Belarus to Cuba, Dissidents have used updated versions of time-tested Samizdat methods developed to smuggle pro-democracy writings out from behind the Iron Curtain, downloading videos, images, and text onto tiny USB flash drives, and mailing them or smuggling them abroad. Syrians smuggle USB drives across the northern border. Syrians smuggle USB drives across the northern border to Turkey and, thanks to robust connections with relatively free Lebanon, kept a steady flow of images and information streaming into cyberspace even through the darkest moments of the Assad regime's crackdown. With the US government and other public and private entities funding research into ways of keeping such dissidents just ahead of the censors, the information arms race between regimes and their subjects so far appears to give a lopsided advantage to the people." Telecomics, a group of European online freedom activists, is a good example. It offered technical support to Egyptian protesters. Egyptians with dial-up modems get no internet connection when they call into their local ISP, but calling an international number to reach a modem in another country gives them a connection to the outside world. The few Egyptians able to access the internet through NOR, the one functioning ISP, are taking steps to ensure their online activities are not being logged. Shortly before internet access was cut off, the Tour project said it saw a big spike in Egyptian visitors looking to download its web browsing software, which is designed to let people surf the web anonymously. And now many Egyptians are finding ways around the cuts and getting back on the internet allowing them to more easily communicate with the outside world and spread information from the inside. One popular method is to use the local phone lines, which remain intact. The trick is to bypass local Egyptian ISPs, Internet Service Providers, by connecting to remote ones hosted in outside countries. Many are hosted here in the United States. Los Angeles seems, for whatever reason, to be a popular site. End quote. Telecomics has also provided a package for bypassing state internet surveillance and censorship in Syria, which it put together on a number of mirrored websites and then circulated links to them by email spam. It took about one month to design, write, discuss, erase, rewrite, correct, and finally package the software. Many people gave their advice either on the design, on the technical content, or on how the message would be welcomed on the Syrian side. One of our Syrian contacts put his heart and guts to provide us a perfectly polished Arabic translation. At this point, the 60 megabyte telecomics safety pack website was ready. It contained security Firefox plugins, a Tor bundle, secure instant messaging software, a link to the telecomics chat, and more. It also emphasized basic guidelines such as avoiding revealing personal information over the Internet. Nineteen mirrors, all using different domain names managed by two load balancers. Not that huge, but hopefully robust enough to both reply to all requests and circumvent a potential blocking against some domain names. Web servers specially installed and configured for this aggressive broadcast. The crossing point between high technical skills, deep emotional involvement, and decentralized technological power. I pushed the button on the 5th of September at one fifty-three a.m. CEST. Then came the anxious monitoring of our respective servers. Thousands of requests were scrolling on the screen. Several megabytes per second were passing through the main mirrors. All servers kept responding bravely to all these requests during the operation time. Fucking hell yeah, it was working. Cheers, champagne. End quote. Another project, originally designed for maintaining connectivity in large-scale disasters like Katrina or the Haitian earthquake, but also ideal in a case like Mubarak's internet shutdown, was Tether, an easily portable, concealable, solar-powered device with a satellite internet modem and Wi-Fi connectivity. One open-net project, the Chokepoint Project, states its mission as to identify chokepoints, understand the issues behind who owns what, and has the power to turn off connections or control aspects of internet control like domain names. During the recent uprising in Egypt, in January 2011, the order was given to turn off the internet, sending shockwaves around the world. Murmurs were heard of U.S. security agencies and American politicians asking for access to a similar kill switch. These actions force us to look at who owns the Internet. This is where the Chokepoint Project comes in, mapping the nodes of control in service of the multitude of global citizens under whom authoritarian regimes can act upon without their consent. We are in favor of exploring approaches to the decentralization of access in favor of guaranteeing connectivity as a counterweight to the control of the internet by nation states and corporate influence. A team comprised of web researchers, software developers, and data visualization experts aim to gather data from across the web and show the control points while clearly explaining the issues involved. History of internet control, current legal situation, choke points, possible strategies for decentralization, reasons for and against kill switches. We are confident to succeed with this project. Through the interconnected network of designers and hackers available through the communities of ContactCon, a major conference focused on an independent internet which will be held October twentieth, two 2011 in New York, convened by Douglas Rushkoff, and members of the P2P Foundation community. End quote. The object of this research is to develop an Internet architecture that is not vulnerable to shutdown. The umbrella term for projects to develop such an architecture is NextNet. The term was coined by David Rushkoff. In July 2012, the project reported on its progress to date. Hosting is now set up and data is being processed ready for the forthcoming beta launch of what we are calling the Disconnection State Map. Ongoing mapping and interface improvements are being added. The new website is practically ready to roll, and we are starting to work on a public wiki as well. Strategic partnerships with relevant organizations are coming along, and we've had many meetings with interested parties. Simon, Ruben, and Gustav were in Rio for RightsCon, the related hackathon and the Freebird pre-event. Data sources have been investigated. And we're lucky to have a whole new bunch of very capable people from various disciplines on board. End quote. Most visions of such a distributed, decentralized internet architecture involve meshworks of various kinds, in which there is actually a physical many-to-many distribution of hardware itself. As Rushkoff describes the advantages, quote, Back in 1984, long before the internet even existed, Many of us who wanted to network with our computers used something called FidoNet. It was a super simple way of having a network, albeit an asynchronous one. One kid would let his computer be used as a server. This just meant his parents let him have his own phone line for the modem. The rest of us would call in from our computers, one at a time of course, upload the stuff we wanted to share, and download any email that had arrived for us. Once or twice a night, the server would call some other servers on the network and see if any email had arrived for anyone with an account on his machine. Super simple. Now, FidoNet employed a genuinely distributed architecture. 25 years of networking later, lessons learned and battles fought, can you imagine how much better we could do? End quote. The existing Internet architecture still has a considerable hub-and-spoke physical architecture, given its dependence on web servers and routers. Meshworks overcome this limitation. Quote, Meshies believe that mesh networks will overthrow traditional networking and communications and create entirely new kinds of distributed software. For the purposes of this column, mesh networks, sometimes called mobile ad hoc networks, or MENETs, Are local area networks whose nodes communicate directly with each other through wireless connections. It is the lack of a hub and spoke structure that distinguishes a mesh network. Meshes do not need designated routers. Instead, nodes serve as routers for each other. Thus, data packets are forwarded from node to node in a process that network technologists term hopping. Before dismissing mesh networks as being of interest only to specialists, Consider their advantages over existing hub-and-spoke networks. Mesh networks are self-healing. If any node fails, another will take its place. They are anonymous. Nodes can come and go as they will. They are pervasive. A mobile node rarely encounters dead spots because other nodes route around objects that hinder communication. In a typical Wi-Fi network, there's one router and a relatively small number of devices using it as a gateway to the Internet. In a mesh network, every device is also a router. Bring in a new mesh device and it automatically links to any other mesh devices within radio range. It is an example of what internet architect David Reed calls cooperative gain. The more devices, the more bandwidth across the network." End quote. Another benefit of meshworks is that, even if the central fiber optic network is shut down and there are area limits to the propagation of the network, the local meshwork can support community darknets based entirely on their members' computers and mobile devices. Short of blanketing an entire country with an electromagnetic pulse, there's no way to shut down local meshworks. The FreeNet project is one form of architecture for an encrypted local dark meshwork. It is completely anonymous since individual nodes' routing functions are encrypted. The downside is that it is not a proxy for the web. The Freenet includes only material from the World Wide Web which has actually been imported into it and stored on member hard drives. Nevertheless, an urban Freenet, even if completely disconnected from the web, could provide a robust range of services for a local counter-economy, including hosting resident websites and community bulletin boards, a community-encrypted currency on the model of Greco's credit-clearing networks, local email, sharing of music and other content files, including cad cam files for micromanufacturers, telecommunication and teleconferencing links, assorted collaborative platforms, rating and reputational systems for local commerce, etc. It could also provide similar services for a distributed network like a file, about which more in a later chapter. The Freenet, as a platform, can host member webpages, sites, free sites, and social networks visible only to members of the Freenet. It can be used as the Darknet or Virtual Private Network platform for any local organization or distributed network. For example, the Los Indias Cooperative, with which file theorist David de Ugarte is affiliated, uses Freenet for its internal functions. Another Meshwork slash NextNet project, Commotion Wireless aims to build up a new type of tool for democratic organizing. Quote, An open-source device-as-infrastructure, distributed communications platform that integrates users' existing cell phones, Wi-Fi-enabled computers, and other Wi-Fi-capable personal devices to create a metro-scale, peer-to-peer, mesh communications network. What it means... Democratic activists around the globe will gain access to a secure and reliable platform to ensure their communications cannot be controlled or cut off by authoritarian regimes." The Commotion Wireless website itself describes the general outlines of the project in much greater detail. The developers, technivists, and organizers here propose to build a new type of tool for democratic organizing an open-source devices infrastructure, distributed communications platform that integrates users' existing cell phones, Wi-Fi-enabled computers, and other Wi-Fi-capable personal devices to create a metro-scale, peer-to-peer mesh communications network. Leveraging a distributed mesh wireless infrastructure provides two key enhancements to existing circumvention technologies and supports human rights advocates and civil society organizations working around the globe. First, a distributed infrastructure eliminates the ability of governments to completely disrupt communications by shutting down the commercial or state-owned communications infrastructure. Second, devices infrastructure networks enhance communications security among activists by eliminating points for centralized monitoring, by enabling direct peer-to-peer communication, and by aggregating and securing individual communication systems. For over a decade, developers here have pioneered the development of devices infrastructure broadband networks specifically this project proposes the following 5 point solution create a robust and reliable participatory communications medium that is not reliant upon centralized infrastructure for local to local peer to peer and local to internet communications design ad hoc device as infrastructure technologies that can survive major outages e.g., electricity or internet connectivity, and are resilient during emergencies, natural disasters, or other hostile environments where conventional telecommunications networks are easily crippled. Secure participants' communication to protect data integrity and anonymity through strong end to end encryption and data aggregation. Implement communications technologies that integrate low cost, pre existing off the shelf devices e.g., cell phones, laptops, consumer Wi Fi routers, and maximize use of open software, and develop an open, modular, and highly extensible communications platform that is easily upgraded and adapted to the particular needs and goals of different local users. End quote. More closely related to the specific problems presented by police in Cairo and San Francisco, Stephanie Brancaforte of Avaz announced a project to blackout-proof the protests. Quote, With secure satellite modems and phones, tiny video cameras and portable radio transmitters, plus expert support teams on the ground to enable activists to broadcast live video feeds even during internet and phone blackouts and ensure the oxygen of international attention fuels their courageous movements for change. End quote. The Freedom Box is a small plug-in server with a built-in tour router, which can plug into an electrical outlet in your home and provide wireless service, as well as providing point-to-point meshwork connection to others with Freedom Boxes, in the event local wireless networks are shut down. The Freedom Box is part of a larger hardware stack promoted by the Free Network Foundation. The stack includes the Freedom Tower, a high-powered mobile Wi-Fi hotspot with an encrypted router and uninterruptible power supply, which provided communications to Occupy Wall Street. Vanessa Miemis listed 16 wireless meshwork projects aimed at circumventing state censorship. DUST is a project that counters government attempts to filter certain kinds of traffic by protocol fingerprinting, summarily blocking protocols like SSL, Tor, BitTorrent, and VPNs, DUST re-encodes the traffic into a form which cannot be correctly fingerprinted by the filtering system. In May 2011, the Mozilla Foundation fell afoul of Homeland Security by refusing to comply with a request to remove a new extension from its Firefox browser, Mafia Fire, which circumvents censorship of the web by federal law enforcement and the content industries. Mafia Fire negates ISIS domain seizures, by automatically rerouting users to alternate domains. And Firefox announced a new extension, explicitly directed against SOPA, which functioned much like the earlier Mafia fire to circumvent domain name takedowns. More recently, in August 2013, the Pirate Bay released Pirate Browser, an internet browser for bypassing blocks, which was downloaded 100,000 times in the first three days after its issue. You've been listening to Feed 44, the official podcast channel of the Center for a Stateless Society. C4SS is an anarchist think tank and media center. For more information, please visit c4ss.org.